continue today uh, in our series through the book of Romans. We have covered up to today the first 15 verses of Romans chapter 1. So today we'll be looking at just two verses, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And if you'd be so kind, if you haven't gotten too comfortable in your seat, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read those two verses from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Whatever version you have is fine. If you get there, you'll find the following words in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. From, from these two verses, and I apologize, that actually wasn't the ESV, but that's okay. I was reading from the screen, I should have been reading from my Bible. That's okay. It, it's all the same. <laughs> Listen, from these, from these two verses in Romans chapter 1, I'd like to lift this theme, the very gate of paradise. The very gate of paradise. You may be seated in his presence. One of the most significant events in the history, the entire history of the modern church, began on October 31st of the year 1517. It is believed that on this date in Wittenberg, Germany, that an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther sent his now famous 95 theses on the power and efficacy of indulgences to the Archbishop of Mainz. These theses debated and criticized the Roman Catholic Church and the papacy, but they concentrated upon the selling of indulgences and doctrinal policies about purgatory, particular judgment, and the authority of the Pope. In addition to sending these theses to the Archbishop, it is believed that Luther also tacked these theses to the door of All Saints Church and possibly other churches there in Wittenberg. This would be, as we know it today, the launch of what we know now as the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation, uh, for those of you that don't know, is uh, of the 16th century, changed Christianity forever. So it was that these people who launched this compelled to action by the corruption and abuses they saw in the Roman Catholic Church of the time, visionary pastors and leaders like Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli, Thomas Cranmer, and William Tyndall, they spearheaded a movement that transformed Christianity and eventually led to the emergence of the Protestant denominations 
that exist today of which we are part. The reformers were guided by the conviction that the church of their day had drifted away from the essential original teachings of Christianity, especially in regard to what it was teaching about salvation, how people can be forgiven of sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and receive, because of that, eternal life with God. The Reformation sought to reorient Christianity on the original message of Jesus and the early church. From early on in the movement, emphasis was placed on three things. First thing was what, what they call sola scriptura. It's Latin for scripture alone. The inerrant scripture this poses, this, the inerrant scripture, uh, the Bible, is the sole source, they said, of written divine revelation. It comes from nowhere else, which alone can bind the conscience. It is only the word of God and nothing added to or taken away from that sola scriptura. The other rallying cry of the reformers was not only sola scriptura, but also sola fide. It is Latin for faith alone. And because of that, uh, they said we are saved by grace alone, sola gratia, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, solus Christus. It was the rallying cry of the reformers, not, they said, by works. Works had nothing to do with it, and it didn't sit well with them that the church was given uh, to, to, to a theology based on salvation by works. The other thing that was their rallying cry was the priesthood of all believers. They said the scriptures teach that believers are a holy priesthood. According to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, they, they, they said that all believers are priests before God through our great high priest, Jesus Christ. They said there is one God, the scripture says, in 1 Timothy 2 and 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. As believers, the reformers said, we all have direct, direct, direct access to God through Jesus Christ. There is no necessity for an earthly, they said, mediator. Don't need anybody. You don't need me. I don't need you. We don't need it. We are our own priesthood, the reformers said. We have the right and the privilege and the honor to go to God for our very own selves. The Roman Catholic churches, the Roman Catholic concept of the priesthood was seen as having no warrant in Scripture. In addition to these early points of emphasis, a fifth sola was birthed through the Reformation solely Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. He alone deserves the glory. He alone deserves the honor. We bow before him and before him only. Solely Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. Because of Luther's role in launching the Reformation, he has been referred to as a hinge of history. 
It is believed that there have been more books written about Luther than anyone else besides Jesus himself. After a little bit of the story, a uh, little bit of the story, the background of Luther, after becoming a monk in 1505 and 1512 at the age of 26, Luther was sent to lecture in biblical studies at the new university at Wittenberg. It was studying Augustine and lecturing on Psalms and Romans and Galatians that eventually brought joy to Luther's heart. It changed his life. In fact, it's been said that, uh, that Augustine's commentary on our text today, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, mainly verse 17, as read and interpreted by Luther was the trigger of the Reformation. It's what launched it. It's what started it, it because of how this passage spoke to Luther. It welled up something on the inside of him. It changed his life. Not only, though, was this passage critical in launching the Re Reformation, it also represents a key spoke in the wheel of sound Christian orthodoxy for the church of Jesus Christ today. It is a historic and monumental passage of Scripture for all believers. Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. So join me, if you will, in taking a closer look at this very important passage. The first word of verse 16 is essential to understanding what Paul writes about from this point forward. The very first word of Verse 16, this is, what, this is what Paul says. Paul says, for. <laughs> what, what does that mean? What, what, is, what is the significance of this word? For, in verse 16, requires us to look back at verse 15. And when we look back at 15, we find out that verse 16 is, is nothing but a continuation of the sentiment Paul expresses in verse 15. In both 15 and 16, Paul uses a word that he uses four times in the first 16 verses of this letter. It's the word gospel. He uses this word four times in the first 16 verses. In fact, the gospel is considered by some to be the theme of this entire letter, the gospel. That's a pretty good theme to have if you're ever writing anything. The, the gospel is, is a good theme, isn't it? I told you last week that the Bible is a hymn book, which means that the Bible itself, the theme of the entire Bible is the gospel. The Bible, you, some of y'all wasn't here last week, and y'all thinking, what was he talking about? He said the Bible is a hymn book, not an H-Y-M book, but an H-I-M book. It's all about him. The Bible, the theme of the Bible, the theme of Paul's letter uh, by some has been, has been considered to be the gospel. In fact, uh, it, it, it seems to be his theme. What is then this gospel that has been assigned such a position of prominence in the weightiest and wisest of the Pauline epistles? What is this gospel that Paul boasts about, that Paul uh, is eager to preach about? What is this gospel? It is... The good news that defeats the bad news. Amen, somebody. Let me say that one more. That was pretty good if, if I have to say so myself. I was preaching to myself right there, Brother Sam. It's the good news 
that defeats the bad news. And, and Lord knows we got some bad news. In fact, the Bible says we were all born in sin. That's bad news. And shapen in iniquity. But I stop by to tell you today that the gospel is good news. That overcomes the bad news. That all of us were born with a sin nature. But we have this gospel. Paul describes it very simply in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Paul says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in, according, in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. This simply is the gospel. Uh, I grew up, most of you know, I grew up in the Black Baptist Church. And in the Black Baptist, let me just fill some of you in and bring you up to speed on kind of what happens for some of you that don't know kind of some of the things that happen in the Black Baptist Church. Uh, in the Black Baptist Church, the gospel is, is expressed in just about every sermon by going to the cross. Somebody that grew up that way ought to say amen. For those of you that didn't, don't worry, I'm going to explain it to you in just a minute. I can still hear the voices of some of the great men who mentored me, who have gone on to be, to be with the Lord, have gone on to glory like, like A.E. Cleaver and James E. Curtis. I can still hear their voices echoing in my ear every time I preach as they would sit behind me in the, and in the midst of my sermon as I came to the end, Sister Martha, I can still hear them in the background encouraging me saying, take them to the cross, son. Take them to the cross. I can still hear it. And, and what, that, what that simply means is that in, in, in every, in most black Baptist churches, here's what you'll get. Somewhere close to the end, amen, somebody, you'll get an explanation of the gospel. Because what happens is they'll tell you that he died. And then they'll say, didn't he die? And then the church will say, yeah, he died. And then they'll say, he died one Friday. I thought y'all grew up in the Baptist church. They hung him on an old rugged cross. They, see, this is what they used to tell Take him to the cross, son. They hung him high. They stretched him wide. He hung his locks. He hung his head in the locks of his shoulders. And then he died. They laid him in a bar tomb. He laid there all night. Somebody help me. All night Friday. All day Saturday, he grew up like I did. But here, here, here's what, see, if you've ever been, for some of y'all that have never been, I'm taking you there this morning. Just for a brief moment, and we're going to come back in a minute. But right now, I've got to reflect on hearing my mentors telling me, take them to the cross, because what happens is they would say, early Sunday morning. When you get to early, that's when the organist tunes up. <laughs> early Sunday morning. He got up, but he didn't just get up. Brother Sam said he got up with all power in his hand. He ascended into heaven. He seated at the right hand of the Father, and the gospel reminds me that he's coming back. That's 
is the Black Baptist Church version of the gospel. <laughs> it, it, it is, amen, somebody. In Romans chapter 1, verse 15, Paul declares that he's eager to preach this gospel. And in 16 and 17, he essentially gives three reasons why he's eager to preach this gospel. At the beginning of 16, he says these words, for I am not ashamed. That's reason number one. He says, because remember, four makes you look back at the four in 16 makes you look back at 15. And in 15, he says, he closes it with saying he's eager to preach the gospel to them that are in Rome. And so that makes you look forward to the four. The four looks back to what he just said. He said, I'm eager. And here is why I'm eager. Because I am not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. Why would Paul start, though, with this reason? Why would, he, why would he start with such a strange reason? Why might some be ashamed? Because, indeed, there were some who were ashamed. There were some, why, why would Paul say this? It, here, here's the reason why. Because the gospel Paul speaks of on the surface to those not impacted by it seems Utterly absurd. I mean, we don't think so because we've all been impacted. I, you know, I know you can remember a time in your life when you thought the gospel was nonsense. It didn't make sense. You couldn't understand it. It, did, it, it, it made no, it was absurd, right? And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed, but some were because to those who it hadn't touched, it seemed absurd. The, uh, the Savior Paul was preaching about, here's the reason why it seems so absurd. This Savior Paul preaches about was a member of the despised Jewish race. He was said to be the Savior of man. He claimed to be the Son of God. Even God himself he claims to be. Yet he claimed also to be a man. Seems absurd. He died on a Roman cross, a symbol of shame. But in dying this death, he was said to have died for all men. And if that wasn't enough, this man was said to have risen from the dead the third day after his death. To many people, the claims of the gospel were just too bizarre to believe. So some were ashamed, and Paul feels the need to share with the readers of this monumental letter that he, although they may have been, he was not ashamed because none of that mattered to him. None of that mattered. Uh, the, but, but here's the interesting thing. The gospel had seemingly been very unkind to Paul. He's proclaiming it. He's eager to preach it. But if you know his history, you know that the gospel had treated him in a seemingly very unkind way. There's evidence of it all throughout his story. In fact, he had been imprisoned in Philippi, chased out of Thessalonica, smuggled out of Berea, mocked in Athens. I've been there on Mars Hill that he preached, where he preached in Acts 17. I've stood there in that place. Jeff and I stood there where Paul preached to those Athenians, and he was mocked on Mars Hill in that very place. 
called the fool in Corinth. I've been there too. Jeff blessed me to be able to go to those places. And I just, Paul was mocked in Athens. He was a fool, called a fool in Corinth, stoned in Galatia. He even says in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28, he says this. He says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. The toil and hardship, Paul says, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. It seemed as though the gospel had been extremely unkind. All these things considered, there seem to be plausible reasons for Paul to be ashamed of the gospel. It seems as though the gospel had treated him bad. Why would Paul then, with all of these seemingly plausible reasons, John, why would Paul then not be ashamed? What, what causes him? to proclaim so proudly and so boldly that even, even in the face, even as I look back on all of these hard times, I, Paul, am not ashamed of this gospel. What, what, what causes him to do that? Well, he addresses it in the second part of, of verse 16. He says this, because, he says, for again, I'm going to substitute because, he says, for it is the power of God for salvation. That's why I'm not ashamed. That's why I'm eager to preach it. Because of its power. Because the power of God brings this salvation that I've come to know. That's the reason why. The power of God. This word power. This word power is dunamis in the Greek. It means power. It means might. It means strength. It means miraculous. We get the word dynamite from this word. It was the late evangelist. Dr. Dwight L. Moody commented that the gospel is like a lion. Look at it, look at it. I want you to see that quote. You got to read. The gospel, he says, is like a lion. All the preacher has to do is open the door of the cage and get out of the way. That's how powerful, that's how much power this all, all, all I've got to do is open the cage and then move out of the way. Moody says, that's, that's the power of the gospel. What, what, what about the gospel? What is the secret of the gospel? What is that ingredient, Edward, in the gospel that makes it so powerful? Well, I submit to you that ingredient is nothing more, nothing else but the blood of Jesus. That's the ingredient. That's the secret ingredient of the gospel that makes this gospel so powerful. The blood of Jesus. It's powerful. It's powerful enough to wash away sin. 
In fact, Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness of sin. It is the secret to the power of the gospel. What can the songwriter say? Wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of It is the secret to the power of the gospel. It reaches to the highest. It flows to the lowest valley. All the blood that gives me strength. Somebody's heard that song. From day to day. It will never, it will never, it will never, never, it will never, ever, never, it will never lose its power. It is the secret ingredient of the power, the dunamis, the explosiveness of the gospel, the blood of Jesus. Then Paul moves on. He says, he says that, that, that it's the power of God for what? For salvation. That's the key. That, 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 that's the whole thing right there in a nutshell. God wants us all to be saved. It's the Greek word soteria. It means deliverance, preservation. It's the rescue from the power and dominion of sin. It involves three different things. It involves, first of all, justification, being set right with God. It involves sanctification, growth in holiness. It involves, lastly, glorification, the ultimate transformation into the likeness of Christ. It is salvation. Paul says the gospel. It, it is the power. What's it? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It delivers us. It sets us free. It preserves us. It makes a way for us. And he says this at the end of that verse. He says, it is available to everybody. That's what he says. It's available to everybody. The Jew first, then the Greek, and everyone. But watch this. There's a key. There's a catch. Everyone who believes. Right? Everyone who believes has access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter who you are, no matter what station in life you find yourself in, it's available. Salvation. Then he closes with this. Uh, so first he says that this gospel, this gospel that he is so eager to preach, this gospel, he's not ashamed of it. Because it's the power of God for salvation. Then he says, he doesn't say this, but Luther does. He says, this gospel in 17, here's what he essentially says. He says, this gospel opens the very gate of paradise. Because here's what he says in 17. He says this, for in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It opens, as we will talk here briefly about Luther's story, for him it opened the very gate of paradise. What it's saying is it, 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 it imputes 
righteousness where righteousness could not before dwell. It imputes righteousness where righteousness could not before dwell in us. It could not before what Jesus did dwell in us because we were unright. But God imputes it through what, what Jesus does. This is the verse that changed Luther's life and the course of history. It was in his study of this verse that he gained a new understanding of the meaning of God's justice or righteousness. So much so that Luther writes all at once, I felt that I had been born again and entered into paradise itself through open gates. I exalted, Luther says, the sweetest word of mine, the justice of God, with as much love as before I had hated it with hate. The phrase of Paul was for me, Luther says, the very gate of paradise. He gets this, he gets this new understanding, Brother John, of what righteousness and justice are all about. And he says it opened up a whole new world of possibilities for him that he had never experienced before. It changed, it revolutionized, it, it changed his life. Prior to this, he had come to hate the word justice or righteousness of God because for him, before this, it meant the standard by which God finds us guilty. And for Luther, that left a bad taste in his mouth. That was the only thing he could see in the word justice or righteousness. It was the standard by which God found us guilty. And it made Luther sick, so much so that he hated this word. But then he has a new beginning, a new understanding. And then he, so when he, when he gets this new understanding, he launches, he helps to launch this protest against the things that were going on. He, he, he helps a lot to launch it, and others joined in, and those that were, were on the battlefield for this very same thing before joined in and influenced what Luther was doing. And, and it became uh, this Protestant Reformation that changed the course of history. And as a result of it, Luther says this, justification is not a change in man but the gracious declaration of God by which he pronounces righteous the sinner who in himself is not righteous. He gets that. That's what he gets out of his new understanding of Romans 1.17. It is a gift that God gives us through the blood that Jesus shed. We are now able to be seen in God's eyes as righteous where before we could not be seen that way. Luther says it changed my life. Luther's not the only one who talks about it. It's all over the Bible. First Peter 2 and 24 says this, who his own self, talking about Jesus, bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Then 
I love what he says just four verses later in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. But he hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him who's him. His name is Jesus. He's the, now I'm going back to the black church. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the alpha and the omega, the author and the finisher of our faith. His name is Jesus. He's our righteousness. He makes a way for us. He is for us the very gate of paradise. Let's pray, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this gift that you gave us that we didn't do anything to earn. You just imputed it on us. And we thank you, Lord, that it gives us a whole new outlook on life. It gives us a whole new understanding of eternal life. It helps us to navigate the waters of this treacherous sea that we call life. It gives us, Lord God, hope and a future. For we know, Lord God, that we are new creatures. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, we're going to, as we did last week, we're going to invite those of you that may be here that would like to become a part of this fellowship. We're going to invite you to come or stand or let us know that you'd like to join this fellowship. And we're going to give you some information and help you to, to, to complete that. Uh, but before we do that, I want to acknowledge that last week we had, uh, we were blessed, amen, to have two families to come and to say that they wanted to be a part of this fellowship. Amen. And it was a blessing. Uh, Bob and Leah Evans have. And Yvette and Edward stood and became a part of this. And so we're so excited. Today could be your day. There have been many that have, had have done. We want to give you that opportunity now to come. And you, can, you certainly can come. Come and, and let us know. And we'll give you what you need and we'll. Uh, have uh, Warren Dennis to go and pray with you and give you the information you need to complete that. That's very simple. But we want you to have the opportunity now. As I said last week, some of I, you know, I didn't really mean it this way. Let me, let me look at this. Okay, I'm good. Because y'all be looking at me funny. I didn't really mean it to be convicting when I told you the story about Bill Parcells. I wasn't trying to convince you to come join church. But I got so many people saying, man, that you talk about toe dipping, and I just thought that you was talking, you know, I, that, but listen, <laughs> amen. Amen. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Y'all, come here and give me a hug. All right, praise the Lord. We thank God for this, the, the harvest the Lord is blessing us with. And more. Oh, yes, yes. The glens. Awesome. Come, come. Now, I want to say this. The Glens have already done their, have already completed uh, their information online. And so we just need to finish that up today. They're done with that. 
uh, we're going to ask you two ladies that if you would go, where's Warren? Where's Warren? Dennis, come. Come, Dennis. Come on. Come on. You can take them to Warren. And you and Warren. Everybody will go. Dennis and Warren are going to share some information with you. Very simple process. You'll just need to take the card that they're going to give you. They're going to pray with you. You've already done that. Uh, take the card they're going to give you. Complete that process. In fact, we have computers in the building. You can do it before you leave. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You don't have to worry about getting home. See, I used to be in sales. And I learned in sales, never let them leave. Close the deal. Why? Because if they go home and sleep on it. Some of y'all been in sales too. <laughs> they go home and sleep on it. They're going to have remorse. And <laughs> I know you wouldn't do that. But Dennis is going to take you, all of you, and pray with you. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. Yes. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. And then we would be remiss because this is not just about church membership. We would be remiss if we did not extend an invitation to become a part of the body of Christ as well. We want anybody here that has a desire to know this Jesus that Paul was eager and excited to preach about. We don't want you to leave. We're still in sales. I don't want you to go home thinking, boy, I should have done it. I should have done it. I know that's not proper English. Y'all forgive me. I should have done it. Today. Today is the day. Won't you come? I would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you and tell you about Jesus. And you can confess him. And then you have access to everything that he promises. Anybody? Is there anyone here today? Listen, remember the first part of verse 16. Because sometimes this is what prevents us. I'm not trying to impel you. I'm not trying to twist your arm. But I'm just saying, sometimes this is what prevents us. Paul said in the first part of verse 16, I am not ashamed. Right? Sometimes uh, that, that shame holds us in our seat. All right. and, and remember, I said last week, you don't have to do it now. You can do it on the way home in the car. You can do it in the shower. You can do it in the, in, in the morning when you get up. Uh, the only thing that I would caution you about is this. Mama used to say, tomorrow's not promised. Tomorrow's not promised. So with that, we're going to offer the benediction. Uh, when we give that, it's still not too late. You can stop me in the hallway. You can, you can call me on the phone, or you can do it by yourself. Remember I just told you we are priesthood of believers. You don't really need me. But I'd love to help you with it if, you, if you'd like for me to. Right? So either way. We want you to have that experience to know Jesus in the pardon of your sin. Lord, we thank you for all that we witnessed today. Thank you for your faithfulness in increasing what we're doing here at Bethel Hope. Thank you for adding, for adding to the, to the, to the body such as you see fit. We thank you, Lord. We honor you, Lord. Thank you for your gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. Be with us now as we depart. Bless us. I want to pray now for the food that we're about to receive for the nourishment of our bodies. Thank you for the hands that prepared it. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.
real quick leadership meeting for those of you that want to be a part of that or need to be a part of that. No. Turn me back on real quick. Listen, a couple things before you go. Couple things, couple things, couple things. Real quick, real quick. If you need prayer, we have a prayer team. Donna Brown is waiting, standing by. Dorothea is here to pray with you if you need personal prayer, private prayer. The other thing, I gotta say this before you go. Come here, Channing. This is my cousin. I gotta listen. I gotta brag a little bit. Oh my gosh. Y'all, this is Chan. Now I probably don't have to tell you her name. Because of you, this is Channing Curtis, the world famous. Oh she like, please don't do this to me. I'm sorry. I should have done this to you last week. But here's the good thing, Channing. It's out of the way now. You don't have to worry about me doing it anymore. But this, I'm her number one fan. CBS 19. She's the newest and greatest anchor on CBS 19. She is a shooting star. And I'm going to be her agent. Absolutely. <laughs> so she's our cousin. This is my wife's cousin. She's my cousin, too. So we thank God for her being here with us. You know I had to get you. I'm sorry. Yeah. 